Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. What's the first thing that springs to mind when you think of Chinese food? I'm always impressed by the rich variety of its cuisine. Succulent pork and duck dishes, aromatic sauces made of beans and spices, bowls of noodles, rice and wontons. In fact, my mouth is watering as I reach for the chopsticks. But not everyone can regularly enjoy such feasts. China is a developing country, and until very recently, it suffered from acute food shortages. Indeed, China suffered from one of the worst famines in human history during the so-called Great Leap Forward in the early 1960s. So even though China is now one of the world's largest food producers, it's not surprising that with so many mouths to feed, its leaders remain anxious to ensure that the nation's rice bowls remain full. This week on China in Context, we'll be talking about how China feeds its people. And I'm pleased to welcome a guest who's carried out a great deal of research into the way food is produced and consumed in China. He's Bob Ash, a professor from the SOAS China Institute. Bob, welcome to China in Context. Thank you, Duncan. It's a pleasure to be here. Can we start by looking at China's food crises in the 20th century? There were several times when the country seemed on the verge of starvation. Well, you're absolutely right in saying that, of course, uh, back at the end of the 1950s, there was a disastrous famine which took the lives of perhaps up to 30, 40, even, even 50 uh, million people. And that was indeed the most devastating famine in human history. We are very far removed from that today, however. Uh, since the 1980s, China's record in feeding its population has been very, very impressive. China's food security challenge is a challenge which the Chinese government, successive Chinese governments, have dealt with really very, very successfully. But that isn't to say that today China does not face a food security uh, challenge. Indeed, it does. And uh, in recent years, in very recent years, and today, Xi Jinping is making it absolutely clear that uh, dealing with the food security issue and feeding China's population is right at the heart of his agenda. Well, Bob, I said at the start that China aims to fill the rice bowls of its citizens, but rice isn't the only important staple food in China, is it? No, rice is uh, simply one of many grains produced in China and uh, these days, but grain is absolutely fundamental to meeting China's food security goals. You know, it's interesting that the two, uh, the two characters which we translate as grain also have the meaning of food. And that's significant. It tells us that uh, it's a reminder that grain and food have been throughout China's history synonymous. Chinese diets for hundreds and hundreds of years were overwhelmingly dominated by grain. And that remained the case into the post-1949 period until really quite recently, as recently as the early 1980s, almost 85% of calorie intake came from, uh, uh, from grain. Of course, since then, things have changed very dramatically. Incomes have risen. 
growing affluence has enabled China's population to um, shift towards a much more varied and a much more protein-based diet. People are consuming more meat and more fish and more dairy products and, uh, and so on. So under Xi Jinping, a lot of emphasis is being placed on this need to develop China's most rural areas. Do you think that stems from a fundamental anxiety that the country might not be left with enough food to feed all its people? I don't think really there's, there's any, any concern that China is going to run out of food. But on the other hand, it is true that Xi Jinping has, has said that China needs to look at food security and to, uh, to use his words, maintain a sense of crisis about, about food security. It's, it's a strange comment in some ways because China's record since the 1980s in meeting its grain requirement uh, has been so, so impressive. Grain harvests have been going from one historical peak to, to another. So why a crisis? Well, I think, first of all, there's, there's, there's a good deal of concern that such a high proportion of harvested grain is being used for feed and industrial purposes. And this means that uh, China's ability to fill those fill those rice bowls, to pick up on your your earlier phrase, is becoming is becoming more ch more challenging. For example, since 2013, China has become the biggest importer of rice uh, in in the world. But more generally, I think that Xi's reference to having reached, as it were, a critical point is a recognition that recent developments are making the fulfillment of China's food security goals much more challenging than was the case in the, in the past, partly because of the growing tension between China and the West, and the West, the United States, the EU, Australia have been major sources of imported grain in the past, and secondly, because of COVID and the impact which COVID has had on commodity supply chains, both these um, these, these global uh, developments have had a serious impact. And I think it's this that Xi Jinping has in mind when he talks about China facing a crisis. And it's, I think it's this that has led the Chinese government to um, advocate greater self-sufficiency and greater self-reliance in meeting China's future food needs. And I notice a big contrast between urban China and rural China. In the richer cities, big supermarkets are springing up, including actually some by American companies like Costco. But out in the rural areas, old fashioned markets predominate and people are very frugal. It seems to me another great example of the economic divide in China. Yeah, well, for sure, there is there is that urban rural uh, economic divide. You're, you're, actually, I think you're absolutely right there, uh, Duncan. But I'd, um, I'd like to pick up on your comment about Chinese people being very frugal. When food is in short supply, as it was in China until the early 1980s, people, of course, tend to be frugal. And so back then, such um, food waste as took place was mainly a reflection of losses in harvesting and losses after harvesting resulting from inadequate storage, for example. But since the 1980s, in, in restaurants and in homes in developed countries, I think about one third of food is, is thrown away. What's really interesting is that similarly in China, the biggest source 
of food loss is now also waste, waste by consumers. It's estimated that up to 20 million tons of food is wasted by Chinese restaurants and work canteens in China. That's, you know, it's not very much. 20 million tons, you might say, compared with the, what is it, 650, 660 million tons of grain that's, um, that's now produced in China. But on the other hand, in absolute terms, 20 million tons of food is, is a lot. It would be sufficient to meet the needs um, of between 30 and, million, 30 and 50 million people uh, in China. And Xi Jinping has picked up on this. You know, he talks about food waste as being something, to use his words, shocking and uh, distressing. And last, last year, um, there was something called the Operation Empty Plate, which was um, an attempt to, to encourage people to order smaller portions when they went restaurants. Uh, and officials were reportedly um, uh, told that they would be punished if they organize huge banquets. And if after they went to restaurants, food was, food was discovered to have been left on their plates. Well, I hope those inspectors don't follow me next time I'm invited out for lunch with Chinese people. Because <laughs> I have to tell you, Bob, there's been a few times when I've been to restaurants and people have ordered many, many delicious dishes. And yeah. there's no way that we can all finish them all. So I'm afraid yeah. that some of them go back to the kitchen where I guess they get thrown in the dustbin. What I a think, shame. I think, I think all too often. I guess that's right. Although, yeah, on the other hand, you know, a lot of it is also taken home. <laughs> Can you talk us through some of the technology which is being used to make farms more efficient? Technological sources of, of, of recent and future uh, food output growth embrace what I think of, perhaps rather crudely, um, as traditional or, if you like, low level on the one hand and on the other hand, advanced high level technologies. And in the first category, I'd put mechanization especially the use of tractors, which incidentally has increased very rapidly, but also improvements in soil management, in irrigation, in fertilizer use, in pest control, all these things have the potential to have a significant um, impact. And so will the further development of those hybrids and super hybrids. You no doubt read as I did a few weeks ago, reports in the, in the Western media about the development of a new rice plant in China, which reportedly grows twice as tall and produces twice as much as existing varieties of rice. So that's, the that's been the traditional technologies, if you like, the low-level technologies. But I would say without doubt that the greatest payoff is going to come from kind of cutting-edge biotech application of artificial intelligence, um, AI, to, um, to farming. China has invested hugely in these technologies, in, for example, the genetic engineering of crops. Um, the commercial cultivation of GM food crops is a very controversial issue. There's widespread uh, public resistance to, um, to their use. But China has developed and very successfully tested GM varieties of rice and corn and soya, and their potential contribution to China's food security is really immense. So I think it quite likely that in the next few years, we will see China 
finally embarking on commercial domestic cultivation of biotech corn and perhaps soya as well. And what about the impact of climate change? Because a lot of people who come on this podcast talk about the water shortage, for example, which they say could have absolutely disastrous environmental consequences. Do you think it will impact food security? I think um, water shortages and water pollution are huge challenges facing the rural sector. People also talk about land shortages and say, oh, China's running out of land, um, which well, is true and is not true. Certainly the arable land base is, is, is contracting. But to my mind, uh, it's the water constraint poses the biggest challenge to China. Uh, China has only six, 7% of global water supplies. And in the last couple of decades, water resources have hardly increased at all. They've in, increased by a couple, two or three percentage points, which means since population has continued to grow, albeit slowly, that per capita availability of water has fallen. It's falling. Water use in China, for example, on a per capita basis, is now below the FAO criterion of absolute scarcity. Because I would say that actually at the heart of the water problem is the uneven distribution of China's water resources between northern China and southern China. And the most serious casualty has been the northern half of the country where excessive water extraction has really depleted those natural aquifers and caused rivers, the big example is the Yellow River, to dry up. The Yellow River on the whole does not reach the sea for most of the most of the year. And from a food security point of view, this has enormously serious implications because northern China not only at the moment produces much of China's corn and wheat, but if you look at government plans for the future, they make it very clear that future food output growth rests critically on yields rising in this region, in the northern half of the country. Now add to that the issue of widespread water pollution, and you get some idea of the enormity of this challenge. So yeah, in a, in a very real sense, solving the water problem, which is gonna be very difficult, is absolutely the key or one of the keys to the successful fulfillment of China's food security goals. Well, thank you, Bob, for giving us so many insights into this huge subject. I hope you'll come back again and join us on China in Context soon. That was Professor Bob Ash from SOAS. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our activities, including our latest courses and research. It's on our website. The website's SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine and it should pop up straight away. But until next time, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.